This is from a recorded talk. So we've come to practice the Dhamma, and like we have um, scheduled uh, to come and have this weekend meditation retreat so that we can focus on training our minds, on developing our minds so that they become better than they were before. So we see that we are born in this country, that the vast majority of the population uh, consider themselves to be Buddhists. They say that they are Buddhists and they have respect in the Buddha Sasana. But what is really important uh, with regards to the Buddha Sasana is that this religion that depends upon the laity and the monastics, it depends upon the, the lay women, the lay men, the nuns and the monks. Because when the Buddha passed away, before he passed away, he didn't bestow the religion upon any individual or upon any king or any form of government, but he gave it to the fourfold assembly of Buddhists and those who have faith in his teachings. And so if there is this sata there, this faith, then the Buddhasasana can stay for a long time. And so for us in the time that we have left in our lives, it's important to develop this faith in the Buddha, in the Dhamma, in the Sangha, a faith in the teachings of the Buddha. And so we come to help and support the Buddha Sasana through helping to build monasteries and uh, provide funds for the buildings. And we can see that in the time of the Buddha, then this happened a lot, uh, that there were many monasteries that were built, many people who came to offer their support in this regards. And there was also a lot of study into the teachings of the Buddha. So then the question arises, why is it that Buddhism then deteriorated and left India? We see that for the most part there was just this study. And it's important studying the teachings of the Buddha, his sayings and committing them to memory. This is something important, but there was very little teaching of that. There was very little work in spreading those teachings around. And uh, so monks studied uh, the scriptures and the theoretical side of the religion, but they didn't do much to spread these teachings to other people. And so those who had faith, they lost their faith. And the amount of people in India with faith steadily declined. And then with that deterioration of people's faith, then the Buddhasasana, this Buddhist religion, it couldn't be stable, it couldn't stay in the country for a long time. So we see that even though there is this sasana vatu, the physical aspects of the religion but these two fall under the three characteristics. These two are unstable, they are stressful, and they're not self. 
So there were many monasteries built in India during the time of the Buddha. There was Jaitavana Monastery, and there was the monastery in the bamboo grove and other places. And this was over 2,500 years ago that they were built. But in that span of time, we see that in the present, uh, there's very little that's left. It's just ruins that are left. In the beginning, or before, then these were very impressive buildings and structures, but they have changed following causes and conditions. And why is that? It's because they are sankharas, they condition phenomena. There's a sankhara that doesn't have any spirit or any mind that's within them. And there are also kinds of sankharas that have mental aspects controlling them as well. Uh, But all of these are inconstant, they're all unstable. All sankharas, they need to deteriorate, they need to come to an end. So that Buddhasasana was able to arrive in Thailand uh, depended upon King Asoka, and we can recollect his great goodness and the depth of gratitude that we have towards him. Uh, That he arranged for Buddhism to be spread in ten directions, uh, to be spread from India. And so it arrived in China and Tibet, Nepal, Vietnam. And then it came to uh, Sawanapumi, the area of Thailand. So it came here through Burma and then into Thailand and then beyond into Cambodia and eventually made its way to Japan. And then some other monks uh, went to spread Buddhism to Indonesia, another group went to Pakistan, and another group to India. And so it got spread around in this way, and the spreading of the teachings is something that's very important. Uh, Because when Buddhism was wiped out from India, it was able to develop in different places. And we see that it really prospered in this area, the area of Thailand and Burma, this route that Buddhism came. And the number of people who have faith in the teachings of the Buddha are very many in this area. So therefore, spreading the teachings of the Buddha is very important and it allows for Buddhism to be spread around. So in the present day and age, Buddhism is also uh, being spread. We see that now it's very it's prospering and growing a lot in Australia. And this is mostly due to the large number of Asian people who have emigrated to that country. So there are large groups of uh, Chinese from the mainland, a lot of people from Hong Kong, and Malaysians, Indonesians, Thais, Sri Lankans, Vietnamese, who live in Australia. And so when they moved there, they also took their religion with them. And there are many Thai monks who are helping to spread Buddhism in Australia as well, helping to spread Buddhism around to many different countries. So the stability of Buddhism, it depends upon the faith of the fourfold assembly of Buddhists. 
And this is really important to have this faith there within our hearts. And we also need to use this faith to practice as well. So for us, we've come here on this day to the monastery to practice these teachings. We see, however, that for the most part, Buddhists, they don't really put these teachings into practice. Uh, Perhaps they offer some food on alms round, but oftentimes they don't meditate or they don't keep the precepts. But they still say that they have respect for Buddhism. And they call themselves Buddhists, but really this is just a name only. The percentage of Buddhists who are truly interested in practicing is very little. And this can be quite worrisome. But for us, we've come together and there's about a hundred of us here who are practicing together. And this is very encouraging that we can come together in this way in order to develop our minds, in order to bring our minds to a better and higher state. And sometimes people have faith to ordain and uh, they gain this really deep inspiration in the Buddha Sasana. But for us, for the most part, we are practicing as lay men and as lay women, as ubasakas and ubasikas. And uh, we are people who are close to the Buddha Sasana. This is really important, being close, being close to these teachings, to the doctrine of Buddhism. And then we put these teachings into practice and we gain knowledge within our hearts as well. Knowledge about our own minds. So when we've practiced already, then we'll know for ourselves what it's like, what peace of mind is like. And these are things which we didn't know before. Perhaps before we didn't have much of an interest in these teachings. We may have had respect towards the Buddha, had faith in that he really was pure. Perhaps we would bow down to an image of him and pay homage to him, believing that he really did attain to this inner purity, having this great faith that he had cultivated his heart in this way. And this is mostly what Buddhists are like. We have faith in the Buddha, that he was pure, uh, that he had destroyed permanently all of the defilements from his mind, that he had such profound wisdom, have respect towards the religion, have respect towards the Buddha and his teachings, that they are real. But this respect often doesn't take them to actually practice as well. Sometimes there may be faith uh, towards monks, the monks who keep the 227 precepts, Faith that they really are intent on this practice, on following the Dhamma and the Vinaya. But for us, we are coming to put these teachings into practice as well. Uh, We're coming to really apply them. And this is what is very important uh, for the fourfold assembly to put these teachings into practice. For the most part, however, Buddhists don't do this. They don't really follow the teachings of the Buddha. They pay homage to the Buddha, but they don't put his teachings into practice. And so the Buddha said that 
the best way to pay homage to him isn't through flowers, it's not through perfumes or incense. And he said this before he passed into Whānau Nibbāna, that there were many devas who had come to offer flowers to him, and those flowers were so much that they equaled the size of a mountain. But the Buddha wasn't pleased by this offering. What did please him, however, was people who paid homage to him through the practice. So if there's just this external homage, then Buddhism isn't able to stay for a long time. When people practice, however, then this is what provides stability to the Buddhasasana. So this religion, it depends upon the practice of uh, its followers. So for us, we've studied the teachings of the Buddha already, and we're aware of what he taught, uh, the heart of the Buddhasasana, uh, that he taught about um, abandoning all evil uh, to cultivate skillfulness and to bring the mind to purity. And these are the teachings of all Buddhas. There are huge numbers of Buddhas who have attained to awakening already, and there will be great numbers who will attain true awakening in the future. And there are also those in the present era who have awakened. But all of these, past, present and future, will give this teaching as well. To abandon all evil, to cultivate goodness, and to bring bring the mind to brightness. So for us, we look after the precepts. And this is abandoning harmful acts, evil acts, through our body and speech. And we have this intention there, the sincerity to do that. And then we come to develop samadhi. And this act of cultivating samadhi is abandoning all harmful acts within our hearts. So we keep the precepts, and this is developing skillfulness. We are generous, and this is skillful. We offer our forgiveness uh, to people who have harmed us, and this is a skillful act. So all of these are skillful things to do. We have metta for one another, and this is also another way of developing kusala, skillfulness, because we see that all people in the world, all people in our country, uh, they all want happiness, that no one wants to suffer, no one wants to feel stress or pain. So when we keep these five precepts as the standard for our lives, then we're having kindness towards one another. And this is a way that we can live together through peace. When we've brought or cultivated our sila well, then we come to practice and to meditate, making the mind still, making the mind peaceful. One method of doing this is through focusing on the breath, on the in-breath and the out-breath. On the in-breath we recite Bud, on the out-breath, Do. So when we come to sit in meditation, and then we put our right leg on top of our left, our right hand on our left palm, and we set our body upright and straight, we bring our mindfulness to the present moment through focusing on the breath, We don't allow the body to lean off to the left or to the right. And we close our eyes uh, just enough, not forced or too hard. And we also don't make our posture too tense and not too relaxed either. 
And then we gather together our mindfulness uh, to know the breath, to know the in-breath, to know the out-breath. And we can also recite Buddha with that as well. We can be aware of the breath through the three bases, or we can just be aware of the in-breath and out-breath at one point. And when we have this mindfulness there, knowing the in-breath with Buddha, the out-breath with Do, and we can also uh, recite Dhammo with the in-breath and the out-breath, that's okay. So Buddha, we can do that. Or we can recite Sangho as well. And we have to see what's right for us, what's appropriate uh, for us. And it's important not to control or force the breath, not to make it long or make it short. However the breath is, we just know it as that, in that way. We have mindfulness there, establishing our mindfulness. And we have these qualities of vitaka and vichara, which means that we know this in-breath and this out-breath. We know what it's like. Uh, We know how it is. So this vitaka and vichara, it's not thinking. Uh, But what it is, is taking up the breath this initial and sustained application of the mind on the breath. So it's not thinking, but it is knowledge. It's a more direct knowledge. So we know what the breath is like. We bring our awareness here. And we maintain our mindfulness so that it's constant, so that it's there with the breath all the time. And then through this, then just the breath will remain. Our meditation word will disappear and the mind becomes still, it becomes peaceful and gathered together into samadhi. Here joy arises in the mind, and there are five different kinds of piti. And so there's the hair of the body that can stand on end, or the body can feel like it expands outwards, or it grows very tall, and maybe it feels very light and very cool, or it can come together in, and feel very compact and firm with great happiness arising within it. So these are many different results that can appear through our practice. And the happiness that we experience is a happiness that doesn't come from anything external, but rather it comes from inside ourselves. It comes from this peace that we have gathered together within us. So when we have these factors of vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakada, the initial and sustained applications of the mind, uh, joy, happiness, and one-placedness of mind, then the mind becomes still, it becomes peaceful. Uh, Just like the pendulum of a clock that was once swinging but has now come to a halt, and so the mind stops and settles into peace in the same way. It stops thinking. And then we know what this peace is like, this inner knowledge comes up. Maybe initially we were reciting Buddha, Dhammo, Sangho along with the breath. Maybe just knowing the breath. Or maybe just reciting these words of Buddha or Dhammo or Sangho. Or perhaps we recite another mantra as well. But through all of these means, peace of mind can arise. This inner stillness can come up. And when this happens, then this meditation word will just drop all by itself. And then the mind enters into samadhi. And when the mind comes into samadhi, then we know that what this peacefulness is like, this gathers together, and the mind becomes very well f- and firmly established at this point. Samadhi becomes firmly established. 
And when this is the case, then the mind reaches into stillness and peace. It doesn't sway, but rather it gains this inner energy. And when it becomes empowered by samadhi, um, then it gains great strength. That normally our minds are in a very weak state, they're not firmly established, they're always running after all the sense impressions that we experience. But when the mind is stable and centered, then it gains this inner energy. So when the mind experiences a sense impression, a form enters in through the eye, or a sound enters through the ear, an odor enters through the nose, a taste enters through the tongue, or a tactile sensation enters in through the body, then we know what that's like and we're able to contemplate that because of the energy of our minds. And we can see all of these forms and sounds and odors, tastes, tactile sensations, as just being unstable, changing, as being stressful, as being not-self. When the mind has samadhi in this way, when it's firmly established, then wisdom is able to arise. It's able to be on top of all these things. So the arising of wisdom is bringing skillfulness to completion. And this wisdom is able to purify the mind, to make it bright and clear. And this is reaching into the very heart of Buddhism, So on this day of Maga Puja, uh, the Buddha taught the Avada Padimoka sermon, uh, the heart of the Buddha's teachings. Um, But what about Asalaha Puja, which is going to arrive next month? Well, we know that on the 15th day of the sixth lunar month uh, that the Buddha awakens, we see that he gained this clear knowledge on that day. What it is that he attained to and awakened to was the ending of suffering. He saw that ignorance, craving and clinging are the causes for suffering to arise. And he also saw that sila samadhi panya, this virtue, collectedness and wisdom, is the path that takes us to destroying all of the defilements. And when these are destroyed, then there's no way that suffering can arise. After awakening to this, Uh, the Buddha enjoyed the bliss of liberation for 49 days, and then he walked to teach the five ascetics. And what he taught them in their first sermon was that all things that are of the nature to arise are of the nature to cease. And this is the first teaching that the Buddha gave. All things that arise, they are of the nature to cease. In Venerable Anya Kondanya, he contemplated into this teaching, and through that he gained the eye of the Dhamma. He saw that all physical things and all mental things are inconstant, unstable, they're all stressful, they're all not self. They're not me, they're not mine. Having a peaceful mind, he was able to contemplate this and able to see clearly. He saw that the mind isn't in the five khandhas, and the five khandhas aren't in the mind. Now that's, the mind is separate from the five khandhas, and the five khandhas are separate from the mind. So the Buddha gave this first teaching, and afterwards he exclaimed, Kondanya knows, Kondanya knows. So this is a very important uh, teaching that he gave, this first teaching, that all things are of the nature to arise or of the nature to cease. 
So for us, we should contemplate this as well. We see that all happiness and all sadness that we experience, all things that arise, they come, they stay for a bit, and they go. And this is normal. We see how everyone who's born into this world, they're born uh, as a baby, then they grow up, become a toddler, a small child, and then develop into adolescence, and then they grow up, uh, become an adult, and then get old and eventually die. And this is just the nature of life, that things don't stay. And even though we don't want for them to be this way, still we have to get old, we have to get sick, we have to die. So if we have samadhi, then wisdom can arise. So samadhi is something that is really important. So for us, we come together and we train and we practice in this way. We try to speak very little and instead do a lot of meditation, walk a lot, sit a lot. And we don't converse about things, anything that's outside of Dhamma. So if all 60 million people in this country who consider themselves to be Buddhists, if they really practice in this way, then Buddhism will be able to stay for a very long time. So it depends upon the faith that people have, this sata, this faith, this belief in people's hearts. So for us, we cultivate faith within our hearts as well. We see that, say, if Buddhism was a tree, uh, then the bark would be sila, virtue. So we care for our virtue, and then we have the faith to develop uh, samadhi as well. And the samadhi is the sapwood of that tree. And then when we gain knowledge into the Four Noble Truths, this is us entering the heartwood of the tree. So at the very least, we need to have this bark of virtue, of sila, to be protecting us, to be covering uh, over. Uh, Dana, generosity, are the leaves of this tree. And it's not yet reached into the heartwood. So for us, we need to cultivate all these aspects. Uh, we need to kind of develop the bark and the sapwood and then reach right into the middle, into the heartwood. And so for us here, we're developing our sila. Uh, we've developed our dana already and we're also cultivating samadhi to be firmly established. We're developing all these qualities within our hearts so the wisdom can arise. So on this day of one pra, the Lunar Observance Day, uh, you have come to the monastery, have taken up these eight precepts. So may you also be devoted to developing samadhi as well, uh, so that you can experience this inner emptiness within your hearts. <laughs>